Welcome to Musicians Talk. Today we are hanging out with Harvey Bigman, a Vermont audiovisual experimental artist. We talk about the Burlington scene, Harvey's creative process, and her weird, unique home setup. She lived in a garage over the summer when this was recorded, and about being a gender queerdo in DIY spaces. Before we get to that, though, here's the first piece she played for us. Thank you. 
<laughs> wow. Thank you so much. Um, it's really awesome to have heard you play before and to be able to see up close the, the technical moving of the parts of the keyboard. Thank you so much for playing. Thanks for coming into my disgusting layer of a room. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> my music, music box. <laughs> um, so we're not really getting a sense of this tonight, but often when you perform, you incorporate um, visual art through television or other means. So to start off, do you want to talk a little bit about whether or not you have a philosophy behind incorporating music with visual performance? Um, I don't know if I have a philosophy per se, but I think of, I think of music as a visual art as much as an audio art. And for me, it's helpful to have a visual to link, to create that link, um, something to bring the audio and the visual together. And I think maybe from a pragmatic perspective as a performer, people who are listening to just instrumental music or largely just instrumental music um, might be more able to focus on the music if there's like an audio or a visual to focus on. Um, and it also can create an added layer that is up for interpretation. Um, I think uh, the the meaning behind my music is not very clear as you just heard there's not a, a direct message or anything like that um so it's 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 another layer to add to uh the interpretive element of performance has that been a component of your performances as harvey bigman since you started playing or was that something that you added over time it was a development as i kind of acquired this piece of equipment that has become part of my performance the Critter and Guitar Videoscope. It's basically an oscilloscope that converts audio signals into visual signals. Um, kind of like a sine wave, but there are a number of different other elements. And I've been, it's, but it's been a gateway to think about visual elements in performance as well. Um, and I'm thinking more about that, incorporating VHS as well. <laughs> thinking about cooking VHS <laughs> in uh, the oven and experimenting with that. Does that, I'm I'm curious to ask about your composition process and I'm also curious if your perception of the, the future expression of the visual influences your composition of the, the sound component of your performance. Um, I think as far as composition goes, um, my performances have mostly been improvisation and I've kind of uh, strayed away from composition altogether uh, as of late. Uh, I think music has become a daily practice. I sit down and try to play at least a little bit every day and kind of rehearse what would be a performance and try to like improve uh, improvisation. And so I guess the visuals would be informed by that philosophy as well. It would be more of an improvisation rather than a, a composed uh, element. But that's all subject to change, change as well. That's kind of the current state of performance right now. 
you often incorporate voice manipulation when you sing or speak or yell during your performance. Um, are you are you improvising lyrics per se when you're doing that? And is is the voice ma- manipulation a, at all a tool for maybe like distancing yourself from the people that you're reaching or uh, does it, that make it easier to improvise speech? I think so. Uh, it's has there, I think there are two reasons behind that. One is I just, um, it is easier to improvise vocals when it's, uh, I, I think of the voice as an instrument and, um, the effects that are added to the voice, um, make it more in line with how the synthesizer sounds. And, you know, I, I try to replicate some of the stuff that I do on the synthesizer with my voice in order to make it a more cohesive sound. But I'm, I've also been thinking about, uh, using performance as a way of, uh, talking about things that are important to me. And as I have tried to do that more, uh, it, like the, the vocal effects have been a, a veil to hide behind kind of a way to explore that without having to jump right in. It's a little intimidating to go in front of an audience and talk about things that are important Mm. without any kind of protection. Would you describe your music as inherently political in any way when you're talking about those important issues that are sometimes, or important, not issues necessarily, but things that are important, but hard to talk about to a room of sometimes strangers? Is that because they're political? Um, I'm not sure if I would use the word political. Um, they're personal, certainly. And, uh, the personal has kind of become performative. Um, as, uh, I've been deconstru- like deconstructing or reconstructing my gender identity and gender, which is a performance, um, is, it's kind of inherently fed into that um so i don't know if it's political necessarily but it's definitely personal and i think that me asserting myself as an individual is my main goal my main objective with my performance you mentioned that you have used your performance made the connection between the performance of gender and performing as Harvey Bigman and you used the name Harvey as your like musical art performance before using it as your name. How has your exploration of gender and gender as a construct and gender as a performance interacted with your music? Um, the character of Harvey Bigman has kind of become the character that I've taken on personally. I'm not really sure how I define Harvey Bigman, but um, Harvey has kind of been a convenient mask to wear um, while exploring gender identity. And as I cast off my old costume, was kind of readily there waiting to put on. Um, I don't think I was 
consciously thinking about that when thinking about Harvey Bigman in the past, but maybe it was some kind of um, subconscious or like um, underlying notion that like some kind of mechanism I knew that I would need a character to slip into at some point um, but it was lying in wait and kind of lying there ready to be taken up do you feel that the the Burlington music community has been a, a generally safe place to transition into that character more fully outside of just your like traditionally performative zones music community has been a great place um, in which to explore this character uh, the larger community has also I think maybe been like better than it would be in other places but I've obviously run into some issues uh, and some shitty situations and a couple shitty situations in the music community as well but I think I like to think unrelated to Harvey and just people not being nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, before you play an, another set, um, you know you've had some industrial mechanical occupations, making cookies and soft ice cream. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your your varied work experience influences your music? Uh, I would say more than anything, my experience working at Camelbrook at Creamery uh, has informed my the the sonic palette and the rhythms that I like to explore. Uh, I worked with a lot of heavy machinery, including a what I like to call metal egg <laughs> that spun at ten thousand rpm, which would separate milk from cream. And as it spun, it had these pulsing rhythms and grating noise, which probably deafened me to some extent. But uh, I I really, like, because I was there for 12 hours at a time, each shift um, had a lot of time to listen and really nothing else to do but listen. Um, and kind of maybe from Stockholm Syndrome, kind of started to enjoy the the repetitive pulsing rhythms of the bottling machine and the glass bottler and the cream separator. Um, I've always been a fan of industrial music, but it kind of cemented that in my own, uh, my own performance. Um, and I like to, but I also like to deconstruct that. I like repetitive, um, kind of grating palettes that are then that kind of melt away mm. um, and deconstruct themselves. Sonic palette. Awesome. Do you want to play another another set? Sure. I'll play this one on uh, Piano Guts, who is my roommate. <laughs> uh, for those of you who can't see, Piano Guts is about five feet by four feet. Uh, giant piece of wood with uh, a large complicated piece of metal like drilled into it at each end and suspended in an arc over the wood which acts as a resonator for the steel strings which are suspended above it and it sounds like this.
I've been told that a steel string snapping on a piano can cut a person in half, and I sleep with it at the foot of my bed every night. <laughs>
I love the way the piano guts echo through the room when you're done playing. It's really nice. You've expressed critique before of the difficulties and challenge of artistry and music under capitalism and increasing corporatization of art and of music. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experiences making art as someone with that critique? Hmm. Well, I've witnessed uh, music booking endeavors and show booking groups uh, get larger. <laughs> I've been part of Friends and Family since the beginning, a uh, volunteer-run music booking organization, and inevitably there are expenses associated with our organization. We don't operate outside of the realm of m currency, money. We need to, we need money in order to function, in order to get artists to come up here. Um, but I've also seen some disturbing trends in this community, the larger community, in terms of uh, gentrification and organizations that are increasingly profit-driven, profit um, which seem to go hand in hand with creating really shitty spaces for shows. Uh, and I don't know, it's just, it's a question that's always been on my mind. I don't really have any answers in terms of um, how to, I, I don't know what alternatives there are to operating within capitalism, but I do know that in my experience with working uh, with communities that are that intend to uh, build structures that are more self-sufficient, that there seems to be hope in uh, DIY organizations, however formal or informal they tend to be. Friends and family seems to be one of the more formal organizations out there, but through touring and word of mouth, I know that there are other organizations around New England and the greater region that um, create a network for musicians and or artists touring and otherwise um, and I think there's no there's no simple answer but the the hope is that those organizations creating a web can uh, start to build an alternative um, and create a space for good art <laughs> to be produced because uh, Profit-driven art is shitty, and uh, I'd like to see alternatives to that. Uh, it's, I feel like I'm spewing. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Um, you've moved around a little bit, too. You came from Connecticut to Vermont, and you spent some time in western Massachusetts and came back to Vermont, if I understand correctly. Um, what were some of the different art communities that existed in the, the different places that you've lived recently? Well, I grew up in Connecticut and only knew of hardcore and ska. And from an outside perspective, I still think that's mostly what's going on there. Uh, <laughs> and we came to school in Vermont and uh, was exposed to like DIY music for the first time here. Um, and 
in an attempt to make myself the best musician that I could be, moved to Massachusetts to hide away for the winter with some of my friends. And I don't think it was a mistake, but it was definitely not, it's not the best uh, approach to building community, moving <laughs> somewhere that I don't, where I don't know anyone. Um, it certainly gave my, gave us a lot of time to think <laughs> about music, uh, maybe a little bit too much or maybe way too much. Um, and so after a winter spent in Massachusetts, living in a shed with our landlord living in a truck behind that shed, um, decided to move back to Burlington to become part of a community, to be, to try to reintegrate, um, and support and be supported by people that I care about. Um, and the music community up here is really strong. Uh, we host a lot of touring acts and I think, uh, Burlington is unique in that it offers, uh, a region that wouldn't maybe otherwise have access to such a large volume of experimental music, uh, access to that community. Um, and I think it's only fault is that it's so far away from everywhere else <laughs> because it seems like everybody's moving out of town <laughs> and moving to places where more stuff is happening. Uh, but Burlington's great and I have a lot of hope for it, assuming that we can continue to find spaces to hold shows. That's probably one of our biggest problems right now. Um, and it's only going to get harder as Burlington has developed more. But I also feel a responsibility to stay in Burlington for a period of time, um, because that is the trope of all young people is that they move out of Vermont to places where there is more stuff going on. And maybe on the one hand, it's driven for economic reasons because it's hard to stay up in Vermont. It's expensive and there are not a lot of good economic opportunities, but uh, I also think that Vermont deserves young people who are committed to creating uh, a strong community up here. So I want to give it a shot for a period of time. So despite leaving and coming back, you've been a part of the community for a long time. You were in Toy Boat, which had reunion show <laughs> in May. <laughs> um, and you've been in Friends and Family for a long time. So... How has the DIY community, particularly outside of if it's possible to separate um, the gentrification processes of Burlington um, in the Burlington area, how has the community changed in the time that you've been here? Um, since I've arrived in Vermont, uh, when I first started going to shows, the Wedge was the the spot that had shows. It was a small house that was the focal point for music coming through Burlington, experimental music coming through Burlington. And when that house was no longer, uh, it the scene kind of became fragmented, and out of that rose friends and family, which uh, was an effort to try to coordinate all of these basements around town hosting shows. So uh, there, it felt kind of like an explosion. Um, but uh, that was kind of short-lived, um, especially because the people involved in that initially moved out of town. But since then, I think we've settled into a more organic uh, community that is 
just trying to coordinate the resources that are there instead of having shows in crappy basements that will probably get busted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think also since then things have become politicized. Uh, friends and family has uh, grown in tension in terms of showing, uh, hosting shows. Um, there's been a lot of dialogue about the space that is created by a show and what the impact is on the people who come to shows and um, how we should curate that space, um, creating safer spaces. These are all conversations that were never had or were barely had uh, a few years ago. Um, I'm really excited about that because I think that th- those discussions can help make this underground community more sustainable. Um, I think the ebb and flow in the past has been a result of um, just poor or or inability to uh, coordinate resources in an effective way. And I think if we're communicating and being honest with each other and having hard conversations about um, supporting each other, then uh, we'll be stronger for it and more sustainable. I'm throwing a lot of buzzwords out right now, but I legitimately do have hope for our underground community um, as it moves forward. Is there anything else you would like to share? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I guess the last thing I'd like to share is the piece that I always end all of my shows with. Um, Not exactly. I haven't figured out a concise way to explain it, but um, when I was living in East Hampton in Massachusetts, um, I think this exploration of gender identity kind of grew out of what felt like a complete reboot of myself was I, I was living in this shed for months and with no job and essentially no friends because I was just two roommates and I didn't know anyone else. So in essential isolation and felt like I had kind of reached my essential self. And out of that have become, have kind of let go of a lot of anxiety that I felt in the past. And uh, part of what has helped that process is, uh, well, a big part of what has helped that is music. And I have a a song that I like to play um, that was kind of born out of those experiences which is a song that I didn't write (laughs) uh, but is kind of interpreted through this setup that I have and through the idea that um, we are all fragmented beings we all there are parts of us that are uh, fragmented and um, and I think the the process of life is bringing those pieces together and creating a whole and um and i'll leave it at that